So as, as we look towards, let's say, even how did last year go? What is the upcoming year? Maybe let's just recognize that the first is just a, a printed page on a calendar. And it's just from Western sensibilities. Why not just like pick another date? Maybe Chinese New Year. And I think this year, I think it's February 8th. And that seems to be just about the right amount of time to kind of recover from the, the craziness that, that is the holiday season and gets crazier every single year. But then to really get into a time of, of contemplation about my relationship with Jesus and, and then to really head in, in the direction where it needs to go. So, so perhaps you, this is a, a ramp up time for you as well. Uh, well, fair enough. You know, you've got a, a billion plus people who are going to be kind of turning a big page on a calendar. Well, you can turn a big page in your life as you take a look at how you're doing in your pursuit of allowing all that Christ has given you to have its full effect. So we're going to now continue in our study of Ephesians 1. So turn over there with me. We're in Ephesians 1, uh, starting in verse 20. Now, although we're beginning in verse 20, the overarching idea that Paul wants to see really brought into place in the, in the Ephesian church, really the, the Asian churches, because this is a letter that uh, for sure is not just written to Ephesus, uh, but, but to all of the churches on that, that postal route around Asia. He says back in verse 17, as he prays to God, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. And we're going to focus on that today. And that's why we actually broke this section into two sections. Last time, it was more than enough to be amazed by know the gifts that he's given you better, the hope, the inheritance, and the power that, that is ours and can be appropriated by us. But, but now, just to simply know him better. Because as he begins to talk about the power that is, is ours, he also then describes the power that is his. And the power that allows us to be able to marvel at this amazing Jesus who loves us, intervened for us along the way. And so uh, the, the title of my sermon today is Know Him Better. As, as Paul prays here. And we've got a lot of phrases in the New Testament and Old Testament about growing greater every day, moving on toward maturity. To look at the scripture from last year that was our theme, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we would be growing with ever-increasing glory. Uh, back in Proverbs 4, where it talks about the righteous, it says that they shine ever brighter, like the morning sun until the full light of day. Ever increasing glory, Proverbs 4.18. And then a little bit later in Ephesians, it talks about us as the, as the body of Christ. And it says, from him, the whole body joined, I'm sorry, um, speaking the truth in love, uh, Ephesians 4.15, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him, who is the head that is Christ. And it's a rather appealing idea that we're not just a bunch of folks that got kind of, you know, tumbled in together 
And now we're just kind of bumping along, trying to make our way and trying not to implode with all of life's different pressures and, and problems that come our way. But that instead, we are, we are not just ones who take two steps back, two steps forward. Sure, we may take two steps back, but we're taking three steps or four steps forward as we have an inexorable direction of progress that is really ours. I, I put a little Latin quote next to that. It used to hang in my wall when I was uh, working for Coca-Cola. Uh, and it says... Uh, Queen owned proficit deficit. And why did I put that up on my wall? Well, for one, because I was pretentious and I wanted people to, you know, know that I knew Latin. So <laughs> pride had a lot to do with that. But on the other hand, there was actually a message in there too. And it's a kind of an interesting Latin aphorism, which basically means he who does not advance retreats. Or he who does not make progress is falling apart, said another way. And if, if we're going to head into life with the attitude of, I think I'm just going to hit cruise control right here. I'm going to hit, I'm going to tread water and I just want to maintain. Well, good luck with the idea of maintaining. Matter of fact, a lot of you have probably been on diets at some point in your life, especially in January of any year. <laughs> And, and, and you've all had the, the stage, you, say, you know what, once I hit 202, you know what I'm going to do at that point? Then I'm just going to maintain. Right. And then January of the next year comes around, and we'll see how well the maintaining went, right? If we're not constantly looking towards progress in whatever the endeavor is, whether it be your own body or your own finances, or even like your house itself, Think about it, if you're not constantly thinking, make it better. Is that Lowe's or somebody says that? Is that? But, but, but if we don't have that, you know, if we don't buy into the commercialism of Lowe's. No, if we don't buy into the, the idea that there is ever increasing glory about the way that we are to live our lives in Christ. Well, it's, it's just like the kind of the uh, really folly idea that we're just going to be able to just kind of Keep it, keep it right where it needs to be. There is no simple treading water in most things in life. Unless you have an intense attitude that there is going to be progress here in my life in some way or another, even if you despair of what's you know, kind of hit you in the last bunch of years, if at any point we can all make the decision, that's fine, I put the stake in the ground right here and now. And, and even though I, I may have been a, a series of unfortunate events, right here and now, I now begin to realize what it is that Paul was praying for. Right. That, that I will know God better. I will know Christ better. And that doesn't come about passively because some guy Paul is praying for you. Although that helps and praise God for that. But I think it's his prayer, as he says that you would know him better, that you would actually decide to get on a path of knowing him better. That there'd be a little injection of deliverance De, de, um, deliberateness into your life where you really do decide time to stop winging it on something so critical and time to have a real plan about how it is that I go about that. And uh, I, I hope that even for you as, you as you're thinking about this year, that you're putting together some sort of intentionality of a plan that this will not just be a year where you wing it in something as huge as your spirituality. The Holy Spirit has been given to you, not just for you to kind of hang back and passively wait to see it kind of, you know, put a hook in your nose and lead you to some certain direction. 
We, at least our experiences is, it's not that case. That There's a synergism that we work together and we, we head in a godly direction. What's your godly direction? Where, where are you heading? I think it begins with knowing what is the current state. And unless we quiet our soul and just take a look at, all right, what was last year about? How did I do last year at trying to really see Christ formed in me? To allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign with me to bring about the fruits that Jason talked about of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forbearance. That's a new one in the new NIV. I just realized when he was reading that. Uh, but but that, uh, not that it's a new fruit of the Spirit. It's just a new word. <laughs> yes, they added that. Because I have not been forbearing. Like I should be forbearing. I don't even know what that means. But... But as you look back, what, where, where, where are you? How did, how did last year go? And for me, uh, it's, it's a year where I'm actually encouraged. I'm not here trying to you know, build myself up. I mean, I, I think if, if I took a bunch of hits and went, went backwards, I'd be glad to say that too. But it was a year where I really did marvel at things that I hadn't marveled at, and I let it be part of my prayer life every day, and also part of my study, to really marvel that I am justified. That I walk around, not because I'm all that, but because I've been credited with the righteousness of Christ. And not only that I walk around with the righteousness of Christ, imputed righteousness, but then the other side of that is I also have imparted righteousness. That I have the Holy Spirit who actually gives me more than enough ability to actually be righteous and to live righteous. And not just that I'm just declared righteous, but I actually am equipped for righteousness. And so my excitement to get after righteousness every day really was much greater. And it wasn't based on guilt and it wasn't based on burden. It was based on the excitement of this gift of righteousness and the ability for righteousness through the Holy Spirit that was really mine. And last year really was a joy. And no matter what it was that came my way, I think I did greet it with, wow, look what I get to do. And I got to do a lot of stuff last year that wouldn't have been so much of a joy in, in previous years. But, but to recognize, wow, thank you, thank you, God, for allowing me the honor of, of being able to get after some of these things. Um, and that's, that's my joy, and that's what I've journaled about. But how about, how about for yourself? What is it that, that has actually really um, happened through the Holy Spirit in, in your life? And where is it, though, that you want to go in this coming year? What will, what will that really look like? And, and for this coming year, I want to make sure that I do more than I've ever done before. For sure. In terms of like uh, giving to people, encouraging people, evangelizing, studying the Bible, all that. But I want to make sure that every single time that I do it, that I'm doing a gut check. That I'm not doing this out of duty or some sort of a, a, a guilt remediation. But that, that I'm doing it because I'm excited by the grace that has been given to me. And why wouldn't I do every single one of, of these things? And I don't want to take shortcuts just to do things out of duty. Or do things out of that's just the way that I do it mindlessly. And it's the right thing to do, so do it. And that, I can operate that way probably for decades, really. And it probably wouldn't affect me too badly. But instead, I'd rather have the fire in my belly reinforced every single time that I get to do something for Christ. Realizing, oh my goodness, I am God's workmanship, which will be next week's lesson, uh, that, that it is, is by the grace of God that I get to do every one of these things. Thank you, God, that I have a life of significance 
where I'm not just trying to make up the great significance of my life like I used to. Now I realize, because it's in Scripture, how great my significance is. Thank you, God. What a life I have. Let's get after these great, glorious, and noble things. So that's, that's where I'm heading. And I'm, I'm trying to make some plans about what my prayer life will look like to reinforce that, what my conversations with others will look like, as, and likewise what it is that I'm studying in the Bible for, for all of those things. So for, for you, here's, here's praying that you're, you're heading down a path that is more deliberate and more intentional. So as we move on in this passage... He, he tells us about wanting to know him better. All that was preamble on just know him better. Uh, that it says in, in verse 20, I'm going to begin there. He exerted this power when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Those four great words that to the Ephesians would have conjured up everything that they cared about in the general society, not necessarily in the church, but in the general society. It was all about pecking order and power and who had uh, leverage over somebody else and who could call on a more powerful uh, heavenly force or spiritual force to trump somebody else's spiritual force. There was a lot of trade in different incantations and phrases that you could use and calling on certain names that would perhaps have greater power and be able to give you victory in some area of your life or to even give the Ephesians prosperity as a general society and whole, as a whole. It's, all of this is kind of in a backdrop of a society that is all about rule, authority, power, and dominion and naming names. Because if you know the name of a certain power or of a certain, let's say, demonic power, well, then that gives you the ability to wield that power. And so that's why he, he uses this wording, far above all, every rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the, the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet. That's a direct quote from Psalm 8. We sang about it a moment ago. We'll read about it in a moment later. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so trying to know Jesus better, as Paul prays, and trying to know God better from this, he starts to give some insight, not just into the Jesus that we saw, for two years and two months in the Gospel of Luke. But the Jesus who now is not just uh, humbled in a human state, taking on flesh, but now let's know Jesus better, exalted. At the right hand of God, Jesus resurrected and enthroned, rather than Jesus humbled and serving as a man. And the Jesus that... That we can marvel at, yes, is the Jesus who loves us so much that there was an incarnation, there was a crucifixion, but there was also a resurrection and an enthronement. And the Jesus that we're to know now is that Jesus. Jesus enthroned. Jesus with all power. And this power is described using different kind of anatomical uh, ideas for us to be able to kind of grasp onto. And the first in trying to know him better and to know this power better is, is this idea of, of his hand, that he is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. This is an idea that's used quite a bit throughout Scripture, that if you're at the right hand, just as when Solomon established his, the greatest of all 
golden moments of, of Israel throne, he set up a second throne to his right for, for his mother as this great seat of honor for her. And that's just in a kind of a worldly sense there. Uh, but then likewise, we have here this, this picture of, of, of God the Father enthroned and God the Son there, co-regent at his right hand, reigning beside him. But in the process of this, we also have a reference to Psalm 8, to which the Jews, if not the God-fearers, that is the Gentiles among them, who only knew the Old Testament, and even the, the Gentiles here, who are not of Jewish background, but nonetheless, their scriptures would have been the Old Testament. So just because they're Gentiles doesn't mean that they are not well-versed in the Hebrew scriptures. They would have been. They, they, they would have heard them read, and in the church, it would have been what it is that they studied, especially those Old Testament scriptures to the Gentile believers that predicted the Christ. Psalm 110, Psalm 8, chief among them. And we'll look at one of those two, Psalm 8. So turn, turn there with me. Since he, he quotes it so directly, God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. So as we know him better, we're going to consider a bit of the kind of the, the mnemonic or the visuals that Paul uses here with the different body parts. So to know him better, let's consider his hands. Psalm 8. Again, just a mention of it would have called into view the hearers of this letter, the whole psalm. It's a short psalm, one that they would know. Uh, it's one that you sing and you know rather well. As I read it, you'll be like, oh, I know that. Well, imagine if that's how you knew most of the Old Testament. Because to the, the uh, receivers of this letter, uh, all of the particularly messianic passages of the Old Testament would have been like that to them. Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than angels, crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks, herds, animals of the wild, birds of the sky, fish of the sea that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so we, we see this first idea here of not only is he seated at the right hand, but the, the, the work of his hands, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place. Now, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place, would have conjured up the very ideas of the heavenly host, the heavenly powers that are in view throughout this whole section of scripture. And these heavenly powers that are they're being referenced here, any and all of that are produced by the hand of God. And as we're to know God better, we're to recognize that everything that makes you marvel about the universe is simply the creative work from the finger of God as he, as he brought it all about. 
I like what Deuteronomy 4 says in, in uh, anticipation of this. I'll read it to you. When you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, the stars, the whole heavenly creation, you must not be seduced to worship and serve them. For the Lord your God has assigned them to all the people of the world. And I would imagine that there are some things that you see, especially in a an area where there's not light pollution, like, like, like where we live. But when you can really marvel at the sun and the moon and the stars, it would be tempting to think, what, what is all of that? And even to fall in, in worship to some degree or another. And it's, it's exactly what happened in Ephesus among the general populace. All of this heavenly host, all of these kind of powers and thrones and dominions and authorities that were assigned to the kind of the heavenly host, to some sort of demonic or angelic beings of the, of the transcendental third heaven of some sort or another, they became the things that were really honored and feared among the people. And God said, don't you dare go that way. If, if you, even though these things are magnificent, don't you dare worship them. Because I created the stuff. And you don't worship the creation, you worship the creator. But, but God can also, just as easily, with that work of his hand and the power of his hand that we are to know, can take those creative fingers and bundle them into a fist, as we consider the hand of God. And that same creative hand becomes a fist when we decide to no longer recognize and honor the one who has created it all. Think of what it is that God was able to do to the Canaanites, to the Egyptians, those that would not honor him, and how it was as he parted the Red Sea, delivered all of his people, swallowed then the Egyptian army back up into that very sea, and was able to have conquest at a degree that the people of God could have never imagined. And all the while, him guiding him with his very own hand. Well, we consider and know him better, and we consider even just the passages about the hand of God. It is awe-inspiring to even imagine the works of his hand, the might of his right hand. Uh, some, of the, some of the Psalms, uh, you know, I'll, I'll read one to you. You don't have to turn there, I'll just find it and read it. It says, now this I know, the Lord gives victory, to Psalm 20, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. They're brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Likewise, in, in Psalm 42, 44, with your hand, you drove out the nations, but yet you planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, the light of your face, for you loved them. It's, it's one thing to be in awe of, of this God, and as we even sang, our God is an awesome God, to, to recognize the depth of, of what is at, at stake here. In, in Ephesus, they were in awe of all of these different powers that would cause them to shake and fear 
at the, even the idea of some of these spiritual powers, whether it be Artemis or the pantheon of Greek gods or all of the various uh, spiritualists who are trying to claim that they could exercise all of these powers. And in the midst of all of this, God is saying, don't even think about it. Jesus not only comparatively eclipses their power, but Jesus has dominion over their power. It is by his mighty right hand that in victory, he overcomes and conquers and rules over anything that purports to be power itself. Now, secondly, even as we uh, see in Ephesians and in the psalm, is to know him better, is even this image of feet. And I, I love this idea that he has not only seated Christ above all heavenly rule, but all of it he has put under his feet. That anything that would so intimidate the Ephesians is now under the foot of Christ. I think of some of the great conquests of the Old Testament, of even the, uh, the kings or even uh, the prophets who would, who would put their foot on the neck of their enemies until they were vanquished. That those enemies now, of whatever sort or stripe, are now under the feet of your Jesus. So yes, Jesus, meek and lowly, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy, my yoke is light. Yes, he's, he's stooping down to touch the leper. Yes, he's, he's encouraging the children to come to him. But you know what right now? He's also, with a raised mighty right hand, with all that would come up against him, with his foot on their neck, exercising complete dominion. That's our Jesus, who is that immense and astounding. And yet on top of that, even though they are under his feet, he is our head. As we are the body, he is our head. Not in a sense to, to conquer or vanquish, but he is our head to lead us, to guide us. He is that shepherd, that father, that loving big brother who is guiding us in the way that we should go. And thus it goes on to say, God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. And so we have guiding us no one less than exalted Jesus Christ. And again, we've got to, any time that we in any way lower our sights from what a precious gathering this is in the name of Christ, to recognize that we come together, not as some nice social organization, but that we come together because we are called together by the head, by exalted Jesus, who is in all and through all, all in all. But it also says that we are his body. And yes, while he is the head, we are the body. The, the very arms and legs and feet of Jesus. We're the ones now who touch the lepers. We're the ones who right the wrongs. And when there is a wrong to right, it is us. Ooh, like Mighty Mouse, join the fight. Song, maybe you can think of the whole song just as a whole psalm, you know, at that moment. 
But this is a big deal. You know, there's a kind of old legend story that when Jesus put his plan into motion and the angels longed to look into all of these heavenly things that were going on as Jesus bestowed his love and his plan through the crucifixion and resurrection to us, that Gabriel came to Jesus and said, and so how will they all know what it is that you've done for them? How will you make it known? Jesus says, well, I'm going to use Peter and John and Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel. And Gabriel says, well, what if, what if they grow tired? What if they forget? Jesus says, They'll, they, they, they won't. He says, but what if, what if generations from now, if it's only through them, that they forget? They no longer remember. They, 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 grow, they grow weary or distracted. What will you do? What other plans have you made? Gabriel asks Jesus. And Jesus simply replies, I have no other plans. I'm counting on them. They're my body. And while it is just simply a kind of a folksy little story, it's the truth. We have the honor, but, but also the responsibility of being the body of Christ. This is not the language of megalomania. This is the reality of who we get to be. We were baptized by one spirit into one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us. That's an astounding honor. We don't have lives that are in any way insignificant in the cosmic scale of what's happening in our earth in this day. We are his plan. We are his plan to love. The way that Jesus will love is through his arms and his legs, his body. That is us. If we want to know him better, well, yes, we can understand and contemplate and meditate, but there's nothing like intimacy of actually walking in his shoes. And they always say, you know, you really want to know, so well, walk a mile in his shoes. The Greek word that Paul uses for know is also a kind of a, a crossover with his Hebrew roots. Because even the Greek uh, Old Testament would have uh, used the same word. And to a Greek, it may be the idea of depth of insight, of knowledge. But with the Jewish background that is also applied here, it means intimacy. And if we're to know him better, yeah, I want to know more things about Christ because they do make me marvel. But also to know that there's no better way to know him than to just align myself with his will. Live it on out. To actually deny self, do something selfless, and at the end of it, realize that was exhilarating. Why? Because I was aligned with the very will of Christ. And while it's sort of exhilarating for me to do it by myself, when I do it, with any of you all, it's immensely more exhilarating. Because then we did it as the body of Christ. Whether it's something as simple as, you know, giving blood together in a couple weeks, heading over to make a difference at Union Mission, 
being able to go out and, and share about the new Bible talks that we're going to be running to head out together and bring the gospel to our neighborhoods. Oh my goodness. You want to like just be enthralled with, with Jesus and knowing Jesus and almost as though you see Jesus. Well, there's nothing like banding together and walking as he walked to walk in the way of love. And please, as you think about where you're heading towards a, a plan of deliberate and intentional progress in Christ for this coming year, my goodness, don't let it be relegated to some sort of uh, scholastic insight, but, but rather real life. Take a step after a step, extend a hand, stoop low, embrace, kiss, do whatever it takes, encourage, speak the truth, get out of yourself. But every single step that we take as the body of Christ makes a huge difference in the world as Jesus wills it to, but it also makes a huge difference to the body of Christ too. There's nothing more beneficial and self-reinforcing than the body of Christ being the body of Christ. We, we, we change the world and we have joy that's unspeakable for ourselves. But on the flip side of it, there's really nothing so sad as the body of Christ, instead, not living for the common good or for selfless pursuits, but instead, after having been given all of that, to just live for self. And to really deny all that could be ours. And so there's a little caution that I want to bring into play here before I close. And, and look with me into Revelation chapter 2. Because you think, wow, how amazing would it be for for any body such as ours to decide inch by inch, mile by mile, we're going to make progress day by day, week by week at knowing him better, intimately more aligned with him, enthralled all the more of the joyous walk that we have with him, taking steps of progress all the time. Oh my goodness, what will it look like five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road? Well, here's the scary part. 30 years down the road, we know what it looked like for these people. And here it is in chapter 2, starting in verse 2. I know your deeds, Ephesians, your hard work and your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered, you've endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. That's pretty good, right? Think, wow, look at them. 30 years. Man, boy, get it. Go. I'm so encouraged. Look at the Ephesians. Paul must be so excited. Even though he got his head chopped off 30 years earlier, he's got to be so excited to be able to see the progress that they're making. But then Jesus, who has come back to give them this letter, says one more thing. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. In other words, the way that you loved back in 50, back in 60, you're not loving that way now. Sure, you persevere. Sure, you got hard work. But what about the love? And I, I think you could, if you're hearing this, you'd have a temptation to be defensive, right? Like, but... We're persevering. We don't tolerate wicked people. 
We've tested and we've held firm. We've had stuff come our way that we've had to endure. What in the world? Yeah, maybe I could be a bit more lovey-dovey. It's not that small a deal. You've forsaken the love you had at first. And now look at what Jesus says. This is the part that really kind of grips me. Consider how far you have fallen. But they're persevering. Holding fast. They're strong. They're, They're discerning. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What's the lampstand? That's the symbol that they are the church. The seven golden lampstands that are are talked about in chapter 1 are the churches. And to remove the lampstand removes them from actually being the body of Christ. Right? So to just think, ah, let's wing it. Let's just kind of see how it goes. No. We need to really heed this prayer. That we know him better, more intimately, in all of the different ways that that we need to be heading in the direction of being more like Christ. Less about self, more about the common good, more about loving as the body of Christ. Loving the world, making the difference that, that is so necessary by us. And as we do, it'll be reinforced at every single turn. Will it be easy to to, to lose our edge? Yes, it will. But that's why it's so important to always have intentionality about us. The minute that we think that we're okay, let's cruise from now, is also the minute that we look around and say, "Uh, I have 15 more pounds to lose again. There there is no just kind of maintaining for any of us individually or for us as the body of Christ. There does need to be ever-increasing glory. There needs to be knowing Him better, more intimacy with God at every turn. Let 2016 be that for your Bible talk as you have body life one with another. For your family at at home, for those that you're in most intimate uh, contact with, let's really glorify God that we do not just kind of haphazardly or passively make our way through this year, but that we head after it with an intensity of really growing in our intimacy with Jesus. And by the way, as we consider his hand, his head, his feet, there's one last thing to consider. Not just the power of his hand, his head, his feet, but even as we sing in the song, see from his hand, his head, his feet, sorrow and blood flow mingled down. Amazing that 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 crown of authority on that head. The power of his mighty right hand. The conquest of the enemies below his feet. That he willingly, for our sake, forsook all of that. To come here, humbled himself as a man. To have his hands and his feet pierced for our transgressions. To have that crown of thorns banged into his head for our sins. To have his body broken for our iniquities. To sacrifice all so that we would have this opportunity to rise up as he rose up to be this body of Christ. It wasn't for nothing that that we come here now. It was because of his hand, his head, his feet, his body that we now are here as his body. And so in 2016, plan to know him better.
How will it happen? And that's just it. How will you know him better this year? Share it. Share it with the person that you're in a discipling relationship. Thanks.